humbling prayer. I'm going to just pray that whatever I don't say of God, that you'll hear God. There's like this Holy Spirit filter right here, you know, it's like something happens. Thank you, Tabby. Hey, if you didn't have a chance to get here on time, and I'm not looking at anybody specifically, but, you know, at the beginning of our services, I mean, it starts with a pop, and especially this morning, Tabby led us into a couple of awesome songs, and so uh, you miss something if you don't get here on time, so I just want to encourage you, worship starts at 10, thank you, I was about to say 10.30, 10 o'clock, we might even have, have to have a reprise of that second song, Tabby, so that was awesome. We had, we had a fantastic time here yesterday. We had about 30 couples uh, spend most of Saturday learning how to have better marriages. Isn't that great that, uh, we're try- that husbands and wives are saying, hey, we're not um, set in our wa- ways. We're not, we have not yet arrived in our marriages. We want to learn more about how we can love our spouses. And so yesterday we heard from Christopher and Dorothy Greco um, as they shared just some insights from their own marriage. Dorothy's written a wonderful book called Making Marriage Beautiful. Um, We might have some copies here in the church if you're interested in looking at that, but um, such a great time of being honest, vulnerable. Um, I told my wife, I I love you, but wow, we're going to have a much better marriage after today. She said, we already have a great marriage. So that was a good encouragement to me. Thank you, honey. I appreciate that. We've been learning about Jesus. Hopefully we learn about Jesus every week, but we have been in a series where we have asked Jesus to reveal his kingdom to us. And um, we've been looking at different aspects of who he is, his love, his wisdom, his power, his miracles, his generosity. We've been seeing this, this God who was man, who walked the earth and revealed the nature of the living God to us in technicolor. Um, through stories, through real interactions with human beings, and we've been, hopefully, falling in love with Jesus again. Anybody falling in love with Jesus again? Okay, that's that's weak, but hopefully at the end of the the service we can say it louder. Um, And we, we see all kinds of wonderful things about Jesus. We were singing at the very end of this worship set, Oh, what a wonderful Savior. We, we speak these things, we pray these things, we praise these things. Um, but I pray that we would encounter the fullness of who Jesus is, because Jesus was full of all those wonderful things, and yet if He was in our life, He would challenge us, wouldn't He? He would speak straight, not because... Uh, he's um, arrogant, or not because he is judgmental, but because he loves us. He would, he would uh, sharpen us, as the scripture says, to live, uh, live holy, to live abundantly, to live sacrificially, to live with the love that he has. And so we're looking at that Jesus today. And as we've studied, or as we've walked through the book of Mark, we've seen these different ways in which Jesus... Um, fully reflects who God is to us. And we've, well, I'll say for me, I, I love looking at Jesus. I love learning about him again and again and knowing him in that way. But in the context of our reading through the passage, uh, through Mark, um, he hasn't fully yet revealed to his disciples the main reason 
He's on earth. The main reason that Jesus was on earth wasn't primarily to be a great teacher. It wasn't primarily to do some awesome miracles. It wasn't primarily to uh, be generous with his time and his resources. The primary reason that Jesus came to the earth was to die. Was to die so that we might inherit the things that we see in his life. So that we might inherit the life and the kingdom that he possessed within him and he offers to all of us. Jesus was born, and we say this at Christmas, Jesus was born to die and ultimately to rise again three days later. And we'll celebrate that next week. We'll celebrate the goodness of his, and the hope and the power of his resurrection. And we will also look a little bit next week at his crucifixion. But he came to die. We see in Mark 8, 9, and 10, three different predictive prophetic words that Jesus speaks to his disciples about his own life and what was about to happen. Look with me in Mark 8, 31. We'll look real quickly through these passages of Scripture. And so Jesus, here in the middle of his ministry, walking life out with his disciples, is now beginning to tell them, hey, there's something coming. I want to prepare you for what's about to happen in my life. Mark 8, 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. Mark 9, 31, for he wanted to spend more time with the disciples and teach them. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. Mark 10, verses 32 and following. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And the disciples were filled with awe, and the people followed behind were overwhelmed with fear. And taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going to go to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him. They will spit on him. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Amen. Jesus came to be a sacrifice for you and for me. He was not only going to be mocked. We saw saw some very vivid imagery in those three proclamations and predictions about Jesus. That he'd be betrayed that he would be mocked, that he would be scorned, that he would be flogged, that he would be killed. And we have very clear and descriptive language in the Gospels of how he was killed, how he was tortured before his death. He was not only predicting that he would die, but he was predicting, and we, we see in the, at the end of Mark, Mark 10, why he was going to die. And so look with me. At Mark 10, 45, he goes one step further with his disciples and he tells them this. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom. As a ransom for many. This is different than any other religion 
or any other great man in history. They came, we come, we live, we try to be examples, to live a good life and to do great things. But Jesus came to die as a sacrifice, not just for one, but for all. Jesus Christ poured out His life as a sacrificial atonement, a substitutionary sacrifice for us. Look at that phrase, a ransom for many. The word for in the Greek is anti, and it means instead of or in place of. And the word ransom in the Greek means to buy the freedom of a slave or a prisoner. So he came to take the place instead of for us to pay a price that we could not pay. For us, he became that ransom. Every once in a while, we see this kind, of, this kind of life in our world, don't we? It's not that this doesn't happen in our world. And every time that we see it, every time we hear about it, every time we watch a movie about it, we read a book, we are stirred within ourselves of the great love that is shown by somebody who would be a ransom or a substitute for someone else. We saw it this week. If you were reading the news or you heard the news, you heard about this officer in France. Did you all hear about this? For those of you who didn't hear about it, Lieutenant Colonel Arnaud Beltram, a police officer in France, willingly exchanged his life for the life of a hostage. Some ISIS terrorist came into a town in France, invaded a supermarket after killing some people, took some hostages, and was asking for the release of one of the terrorist, uh, the Paris terrorist attacks. And in that confrontation, in that hostage situation, this police officer offered his life so that the remaining hostages would be let go. And it was accepted. So after agreeing to the swap, he surrendered his weapon, but he kept his cell phone on, allowing authorities outside the supermarket in the, in, in the southern French town of Trebes, Trebes to hear what was happening inside. Thanks to his quick thinking, special police units heard gunshots inside the store Friday and stormed the building immediately, killing the attacker. Quote, beyond his job, he gave his life for someone else, for a stranger. He was well aware he had almost no chance. He was very aware of what he was doing. If we don't describe him as a hero, I don't know what you need to do to be a hero. He died in the service of the nation to which he had already given so much. In giving his life to, to the end, the deadly plan of a jihad, in giving his life to end the deadly plan of a jihadi terrorist, he fell as a hero. Why did he do this? What, what possessed him to do this? Well, I would argue that within this police officer, maybe he was trained to do this, maybe it was a part of his, uh, of, of his, of his thinking, but I think it went deeper than just that. Anybody who's trained to do this doesn't necessarily do it. Anybody who has the opportunity to do this doesn't necessarily take it. As a matter of fact, very few would or have. But he took this opportunity to save this life because I believe he had a deep love in his heart for humankind. That he saw that the value of his life 
was worth saving another person's life. He became, in this setting, a sacrificial, a substitutionary sacrifice for this hostage. Tim Keller talks of this ransom that Jesus paid for us. He he says it in this way. He says, all life-changing love is a substitutionary sacrifice. Anytime that we exhibit love in such a way that it changes or transforms a person's life, we we are entering into a substitutionary sacrifice because the very act of love, loving somebody in need, somebody in pain, somebody in trial, somebody overwhelmed, whatever that situation is that we walk into, we have to enter into not only their life to love them, but we have to enter into their pain. We have to offer something in exchange. We have to enter in and grieve. We have to enter in in war. We have to enter in and help. We have to enter in and sacrifice. Sacrifice something. None of us in this room have sacrificed like this police officer has sacrificed because we're all alive. And yet we all have experienced or understand that kind of sacrificial love that costs us something to love. Parents in the room know what that means. The minute that child is born, I went over to to visit little Gabe Prickett this week. And boy, is he a cutie. You're going to get to see him next week. I was kind of hoping that maybe, Prickett, did you sneak in here? He's coming back to work officially tomorrow, but I thought maybe we might get to see Gabe. He is a cutie. He's awesome. And they're filled with joy. And with their joy in their eyes and their attitude, there's bags under their eyes. (laughs) And you laugh, and there was a little giggle in me. After five children, I'm like, welcome to my world, bro. (laughs) Welcome to the world of sacrifice. Welcome to the world of of, of, of inviting a new life into this world. Of breathing, and eating, and pooping, and eating, and screaming, and pooping, and eating, and screaming, and smiling, and laughing, and pooping, and it's just, it's coming forever. Last night, I went off to sleep in preparation for a wonderful night's sleep, and the phone rang right as I was entering into glory. For those of you who love sleep, you know what I mean. And my daughter, Molly, called, 11.30 at night, not one to call late at night. When children call it late at night, a parent's heart races. Laura answers the phone, and I hear my, my daughter through the phone um, sneezing and just breathing hard and talking to Mama. She says, Mama, I had, a, I had an allergic reaction at the, uh, had, uh, after I was eating shawarma. And um, I'm, I, I'm, I think I may, might be going into an anaphylactic reaction. My daughter has severe allergies to certain foods, and she happened to eat some food that was, she was allergic to. Automatically, I was taken back to a few years ago when I was walking up the top of a mountain with my daughter and she entered into that same kind of anaphylactic reaction and we were on the top of the mountain and she needed help. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to get my daughter down the mountain, let alone 
praying that she say her life is safe. As parents, we enter into a place when we invite a child into our life, we say, I'm willing to, to do whatever it takes for your life to make it, for your life to survive. Laura and I were figuring out who was going to put on clothes last night, get out of our pajamas and race to Harvard to, to the, the urgent care to sit beside her. And as we were caught, you know, we called her and got a hold of her as we were about to go, and she's like, I'm okay, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Wasn't that bad of a reaction. And, uh, and she, she almost, I could almost hear the chuckle in her. I knew, that, I knew that one of you was about to get in the car. Why? Because that's what we do. Why do we do it? Not because it's, it's a duty or a prescription or, or a, a responsibility we have to do. We do it because something in us has to do it. And it's called love. We understand this, all of us, whether we're parents or not. We've engaged in it because someone's loved us in this way or we've expressed it. There's something that comes from the heart of God that says love is worth sacrifice for. And yet even this man in France or my valiant attempt or my beginning to attempt to save my daughter's life, whatever that would have looked like, as if I could have done anything other than pray, which is what we did. This man saved a life. Sometimes people save hundreds of lives. But there's only one man in all of history that had the ability to save all lives and still does. And his name is Jesus. He became a ransom and suffered for all, because he loves us. The scripture says, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Romans 8 says, he who did not spare his son, but gave him up freely for us all. This is the heart of the father. This is the heart of the father for you, you and I. This is the heart of the son who, Philippians 2 says, willingly left heaven to come to earth to serve us. He saw that evil was destroying us. He saw that the world was broken. He saw that we did not have a way forward that was not marked by death and destruction and darkness. And he made a way where there was no way by his sacrificial, substitutionary love for us. He became our ransom. What has God ransomed you from? It's so easy to put it out here. It's so easy to hear my story and, and to hear examples, but what has God ransomed you from? I can share my story, but what is your story? Every time we come into worship, every time you enter into a small group, every time you enter into a discipleship group, every time you sit down before God in heaven, whether you intentionally do it or you're on a bus or on a, in a car or walking down the street and God's presence is around you, our ultimate desire, our ultimate uh, longing, our ultimate response to the God who created us is to ask the question, God, what have you done for me and what can I do in relation back to you, for you? What have you done for me? What has God ransomed 
you from? Shame? Addiction? Pride? Power? Deceit? Gluttony? Greed? What is it? What did he come to ransom you from? God commanded, and it is what they did, and God did pass over. God did deliver. And not only did he deliver the children of Israel at that on that night, but Pharaoh, after that, sent them on. Let them go. And the enactment of God's deliverance for his people was initiated. His justice came upon sin, but his mercy and his grace came upon the substitutionary sacrifice of a lamb. They were passed over. Consider this, back to Jesus' time when they are taking the meal together. He's sitting before the disciples. They are about to sit down and take, take that very familiar meal together, the Passover meal. They understand the ceremony. They understand uh, the circumstances of this meal. They've lived it every year of their life in their homes. They have commemorated and remembered the deliverance of their people from the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt and from the angel of death. They are, it's a, a, a moment of worship. It's a moment of, of thanksgiving. It's a moment of reverence. It's a moment of celebration. It's a moment of looking to their Savior once again, God, who delivered their people. In, in that ceremony, there are four cups. There are four main promises that are alluded to in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. God's promises. God's promises, one, for the rescue from Egypt, that He would rescue them from Egypt. Promise number two, that they would be free from slavery. Promise three, that they would re be redeemed by God's divine power. And promise number four, that they would be renewed in relationship with their, their God and their, and their Deliverer. And as Jesus is taking the meal, is, is, is administrating, presiding over the meal with his disciples, and as they are eating the bread, I mean, as they are sitting down to take, take this Passover meal together, he gets to the third cup, the third cup of God's redemption by his divine power. And he reads, he reads from Deuteronomy 26. He blesses the elements. He blesses the bread. This would be a very common thing. The blessing of the bread, the herbs, the lamb. These symbolic reminders of the various aspects of, of the Israelites' captivity and deliverance. He was going through it. And it says in verse 22 this. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, Take it. And here he changes the script. For this is my body. And then he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And now the disciples' minds are starting to spin and going, what is he saying? And he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said this, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it 
in the, drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then they sang a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives. Jesus departs from the typical Passover script at the bread. And it no longer was the bread of affliction for the Israelites. It was no longer just the remembrance of their deliverance in the past, but he was saying, I am now the bread of affliction. The affliction that should come upon you all will come upon me. Cursed will I be who hangs on a tree. I, the bread of life, the one who can give life eternally, will be broken for you. Revelation into the symbolic journey, the symbolic meal, the, the remembrance of a deliverance, a mighty deliverance of God. And Jesus is saying, not just for a night will the, the angel of death pass over some and some be delivered. But when I go to the cross and I place my body on the cross and my body is broken and killed for you, all who receive my sacrificial, sacrificial atonement will be saved from death. And not just death for a few more years or a lot of years on earth, but death for eternity, abolished in life. Forevermore. In the biblical times, when an oath was made or taken, I promise to do this or that, oftentimes if it was a serious oath, something very significant, there would be two ways in which that oath would be ratified. One would be the, the cutting, uh, taking, uh, taking an animal and cutting it in half and walking through the middle of that, those two halves of an animal. And another, and maybe both of them at the same time, another would be the sprinkling of the blood on the person who is making the oath. A covenant of blood. A covenant of sacrifice saying, I will do this, in a sense saying, I will do this, and if I don't do it, cut me in half. Spill my blood. That's how serious I am about this oath that I'm taking before you. And so when Jesus takes the cup and he says, this wine is really my blood that is shed for you, he is saying, I'm taking an oath for you. I'm taking an oath for you. So be it, I declare tonight that I will go to the cross for you. And I love it whenever I say this phrase, so I want you to say it in your mind. Everybody who's asleep, wake up. <laughs> Jesus is saying to you on that night and today, I will go to the cross for you, Sean. I believe it. I believe He knew my name. I believe that He knew that I would need a Savior. I believe that He knew that I couldn't do it on my own. And that he was willing just for me and you and you and you to be in oath with God in us to go to the cross to die and to shed his blood and to allow his body to be killed for you and I. He is saying there's a new covenant between man and God. 
in this covenant is based on my blood, on my life. So when he stood up with his disciples at that night and said that, he said, all of these earlier deliverances, all of these meals have been pointing to me. I am that sacrificial, substitutionary Savior that you worship. I am your deliverer. One more interesting note. In all three, I mean, in all of the Gospels where this account is described, one specific thing is left out of the meal that's really important. If you've ever been to a Seder or a Passover meal, which I've had the privilege of being at a couple of them, you have these elements that are described. You have some other elements, some herbs and some different things that, that signify the different aspects of this deliverance or this journey. But they're, the main meal is the lamb. Where's the lamb in this meal? There's bread and there's wine, but there's no lamb. But there is, isn't there? When John the Baptist saw Jesus for the first time, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was standing there at that meal and he was saying, My body is going to be broken, my blood is going to be shed, and I am the Lamb. I am the meal. Eat of me. Take in me. Receive me and what I, who I am and what I will do for you and you will be saved. Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. On the cross, Jesus took divine justice of sin and death that you and I deserve upon himself. He became our substitutionary sacrifice. There's a story about... Uh, a, a ranger, a forest ranger in uh, Yellowstone National Park during, after a fire. And as he's walking through the scorched earth, he comes upon a carbonized, ash-ridden shell of a bird, a bird that had been scorched in the fire. Kind of a grotesque-looking image of a bird and he he kind of pushes the bird away and when he pushes the bird away out from underneath the bird are three little chicks that had survived the fire because the mother had protected them the mother had placed her life and covering around these chicks so that after the fire had passed they would be when Jesus looked over Jerusalem as he was still alive, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets 
and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. This God in heaven is not after you. He's not looking to judge us. He's not looking to destroy us. He's not looking to banish us. He's not looking to burn us. He's not looking to send us to hell. That is not the heart of God. That's not His desire. The heart of Jesus and God is to place His wings around our fragile lives and to protect us and to cover us from the fire that's upon us. He's your Savior. Lastly, and I can get you ready for the the meal, and if I could have the worship team come on up. In Mark 14, 22, it says, we'll look back again, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. really 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 simple but really important we can't receive of the work of Christ we can't benefit from his provision unless we take it we have to take his body we have to receive what he's done for us if we sit back and we look at a distance and we say oh that's really awesome well great message Pastor Sean What a wonderful Jesus you've portrayed to us. I think he's awesome. What a great teacher. What a great sacrificial human being. What a, maybe even, what a great God, maybe, if I believed in such a thing. If, or, or what a great God I believe in such a thing. Wherever we are. But if we don't receive Jesus, we can't be changed. In the same way that if someone prepared a beautiful feast of food in front of us. And we looked at it and said, wow, what a beautiful feast. But if we don't eat the food, we don't get nourished. We don't get rewarded. And if we sit there long enough and look at beautiful, wonderful food and don't eat it, what happens to us? We starve. We die. A feast in heaven, a feast of the ages is before us this morning, and his name is Jesus. But we have to receive him. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, as we come to this place of communion, I ask God that we would be reminded or we'd be stirred or we'd be convicted, whatever, of why we need a ransom. And how beautiful our ransomer is. And I pray, Lord, Lord, that there would not be one person in this room that would walk away and not take of your food. That would not receive you. So, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that this is a new message or a hard message or a, a message that has been resisted, Lord, I ask right now, that you would soften hearts 
that you would reveal as I've tried to describe your love, your deep, affectionate, zealous love for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to open the door to your love and to receive you. For, for many of us in this room who have already done that in our lives, Lord, I pray that we would enter into a, a place of reverent worship again for all that you are in us and all that you've given us and the hope that we have in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we're going to worship for the last few minutes. And I'm going to invite you to come when you want to come. We've got stations here, here, and here. And typically what we do is we take those back to our seat and we, we, eat, them to get, we eat and drink together. But I'm, I'm going to invite you to, to come forward and have a moment with the Lord, maybe a moment with a friend or family, however you want to do that. Worship God. Drink and eat in that place of reverence. And after you finish... The cup, you can just place it in the basket. There's baskets around the tables to collect those cups. But let's take a, mo let's take a few minutes here and worship and respond to our Savior.